Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. And this is part dose of the addiction series. And today's guest is somebody I have known for a thousand years, it feels like. And this is a really, I mean, there are so many different perspectives in this conversation and in um, total with addiction. And this is a really unique perspective of someone whose loved one was addicted to a certain kind of substance. And I'm excited to get her thoughts on it. And today's guest is Nicolia. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my gosh. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for agreeing to be on. This is important. And you're one of my favorite people on earth. So bonus. (laughs) Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm Nicolia. I live in the treasure Valley, like Boise area. I am married and I have three kids and this year I'm homeschooling, which is a whole nother story. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) I taught high school for seven years and now I'm a stay at home mom. I run like a direct sales business very successfully. And yeah, you do do very successfully. Yeah. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. We have three dogs at my house and you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like the circus when you come over, you know, so the best way that's a lot of energy that you have going on at your house. So much energy. Yes. So much energy. Do you thrive on that or does that exhaust you or both? I think that when I was teaching, I thrived on it. And now sometimes I'm like, okay, I just need a nap, but (laughs) Um, like my husband will take the kids to like my mother-in-laws and I'm just like, he's like, do you want to come? And I'm like, no, I just want to sit in the house and quiet. But I also like, I mean, the days are long, but the years are short. So I'm just trying to cherish this time. Smart. So yeah, good, good approach. So (laughs) just to dig into your story just a little bit more before we jump into the serious stuff. Did you always want to teach high schoolers? No. I feel like with everything in my life, I've just like fallen into it. It's been like, okay, you need to make a choice now. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I was in college. I had, I don't know. I had been in college for four years. It took me six to graduate. And at some point I was just like, Hey, I just need to make a decision. I had taken a ton of psychology classes and I was just like, Hey, I need to make a decision and teaching high school. I didn't have to take any more math. Yeah. I just fell into it and I loved, loved being in the classroom, but with three kids, just a little much. So I don't know if I'll ever go back, but it's definitely a time that I really cherish. And the students actually right now, one of my former students is watching my kids. So she's my, yeah, she's my nanny and I adore her. So, um, those connections are priceless. I can see you being really effective at connecting with high schoolers. And being able to like relate to them and bridge any gaps. And I could see you just being stellar at that for sure. Thank you. Yeah. I loved it when I was doing it. 
Yeah. It is really rewarding. Yes. That's probably the thing I miss the most. Just kids being like, thank you for your time. You know, your own kids are never like, Hey, you're <laughs> yeah. really changing my life. You know, they're like, yeah. mom, can you get more snacks? Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. did you encounter any tood with the high schoolers or like overall oh. or not so much. Yes, absolutely. I mainly taught freshmen. I taught everyone but sophomores in my time of teaching, but mm. I did encounter attitude until, you know, until you make a relationship, then, then it kind of stops. And I sure. usually, I definitely got called some four letter, you know, not oh, four letter words, but got called some names. And yeah. if I, anytime I responded calmly and was like, Hey, I don't talk to you like that. And I don't want to be talked to that way. With the exception of one kid, <laughs> it never failed that I would have kids come back and say, Hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah. So there's think- this program called Love and Logic. And I just think like responding in that way, it just teaches a different way of communicating that they've probably never had. Exactly. And kind mm-hmm. of shifts the dynamic. And I can totally. see if you're approaching them with calm logic and boundaries, like strong, firm boundaries, yes. loving and respectful, but still firm. Yeah. I think that really carries over and signals to them. Hey, so we're not going to go into this abrasive dynamic. I'm going to respect you, but I'm going to demand respect as well. And that's just how it's going to go. And I'm not going to be a pushover. I'm not going to be a jerk and aggressive, but this is just my baseline. This is what I require. Yeah. Yes. And it was really important to me in the classroom that there was like, not just with me and students, but the students between each other, that there was a culture of respect. Like you don't have to like each other, but you have, you can't talk to each other in a rude way. Like, um, so that was really important for me to cultivate and just grow within the school. So yeah. yeah. What a life lesson too, man. Can you teach a lot? the adults that you see on social media oh man (laughs) I know Uh, know. that's fantastic okay so let's get into it thank you again for coming on thank you for talking about this how does it feel talking about it is it triggering is it whatever Um, how do you feel actually so I've gone really back and forth on this I was like should I do this should I not my family never said this is a secret this is you know, we don't talk about this. In fact, we did talk about it, but it was just always like, there's always shame surrounding addiction. addiction. And so there is shame. Like, you know, in high school, I had the best, best friends, but like, I don't know if it was just me and my friend group, but we didn't like talk about things like this. Like they knew a little bit, but they didn't know like, Hey, this is going on. So like, I just think there's a real shame. So for me, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, am I going to talk publicly about this? Which to be honest, when I was teaching, I did talk about it. I used to teach psychology and addiction. And so it did (gasps) come up. Yeah. Yeah. And so it came up and I think things are never as they appear. Yeah. Person's lives. So when I was teaching, I always lived by this mantra, like be kinder than necessary because everything one is going through a battle you don't know about. And so actually when I was preparing for this, like mentally, that quote came up for me again. And I was just like, it is just so true. You don't know somebody's struggles. And so when it comes down to it, I think that that's just the most important thing for me in talking about it is that people don't think that they're alone. And so that's why I'm like, yeah, do this, talk about it. God bless you. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you for deciding to do it. (laughs) 
And you are even better to talk to too, since you've taught on this psychology, addiction, all of that, have your own personal experience. God, that's awesome. Not glad that you've had this experience, but glad that you're willing to talk about it. Tell us your experience. So my father's an alcoholic. He drank throughout my entire childhood and into most of my adulthood addiction to alcohol. So that eventually led to my parents' divorce. Um, You know, when you picture like, I mean, I think we've all been there where we go out and drink too much, not all of us, but a lot of us. And, you know, you're just kind of out of control. You don't remember what you say. Sometimes you're angry, you know, you, you can become out of control. And so there were moments in my childhood that there was never violence, but there was anger and just felt unstable at times. Yeah. So that's kind of how that was. Um, and that's like, impactful for a kid. Instability. Right. Oh, absolutely. For a um, lot. Yeah. Yeah. As a mom, now that I think about it, I'm like, parenting is really hard. And to parent with somebody who is not bringing stability to the table would oh, be man. devastating. I mean, yeah. it would be so much anger, you know, you just, it would be horrible. So, yeah. um, my dad is super loving. I mean, he's my biggest cheerleader. He loves me, but yeah, there were times in high school that he would call and we would have a conversation because at that time my parents were separated or divorced. And so he would call and we'd have a conversation and like the next day he wouldn't remember any of it. Wow. And so that's so frustrating, yeah. obviously. So he's also a very functioning alcoholic. So that means, you know, he can drink at night and then go to work and be perfectly presentable. And so I was mean, there a progression with that? I actually don't know. I think that some people can always be a functioning alcoholic. Many people can. So sure. Did you personally see it progress with his consumption or was it just um, kind of the same overall? So it was basically the same overall. There were times that he would try to stop drinking. You know, it would come to an ultimatum, like you need to stop drinking or you know, we're not going to be married anymore coming from my mom. And so he would try to stop, but at least in my experience, part of addiction is the sneaking that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so like hiding it or any of that. So I didn't see it progress, but at the height, basically the, the worst of my dad's addiction came when I was an adult and I was married. I had one child and I was pregnant with my second, my dad, I was teaching actually. And I, my TA, she's like, Hey, you're getting all these phone calls. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you better step out of the room. So I call my mom and she's like, your dad has had a bad accident. (gasps) Not when you hear. No. And I'm like, what? And she's like, he fell down the stairs of his house. It was going into a basement. It was cement stairs. He fell down these stairs and he hit his head um, really (gasps) bad. He broke some ribs. And so that doesn't sound like it would be, you know, like, obviously that's not good, but it wasn't, it doesn't sound like that would be devastating. Well, they're like, we think you should come. (gasps) Okay. And so on my way down there, my mom's like, Napoleon, like they're talking about life support. Oh my. Right. And so I was like, what? Like, you know, like how can you go from, you know, this is just I mean, he hit his head. He has some broken ribs. But when I got there, he was very coherent. When I got there, he knew who I was. 
but because he is an alcoholic, he went into detox and um, it's called DTs. And I can't remember what the first D stands for, but it's something tremors and it is horrible. And it triggered like delusions. Withdrawing from alcohol can trigger delusion so basically it was like he didn't know where he was he didn't know who he was he didn't know it was just like very bad um and then he was on life support because of the alcohol and because of breaking his ribs he then he basically got pneumonia he was in the ICU for weeks like we're talking months also with alcoholism it can trigger I can't even remember the disease but basically it's onset it's like dementia because your body's depleted of all nutrients and that can come on and never leave. And so, yeah, it was awful. I was traveling back and forth from Boise to Pocatello and we didn't know if he was going to make it. He had multiple surgeries. So anyway, he was in the hospital for, I want to say six weeks, and then they transferred him to a long-term hospital. And so I would go visit him. Like I would try and go, you know, a few times a week. I had gone to visit him and then there was a football game next door for, with my high school. And it was so weird. Like I was watching the game, but behind me, the hospital that my dad was in was there. So like, it was just such a weird time. Cause I could look at this building where my dad is and he's like, doesn't know who I am. Like we're looking at long-term care and nursing home and then watching a football game with my son and my husband. And it was just such a surreal time. Yeah. And I was so angry. Like I was just so angry. I'm like, you know, he had fallen down the stairs probably because he had been drinking. And so anyway, long story short, he miraculously one day we were look, literally looking at nursing homes and the next day he woke up and he knew who he was and he was having full-blown conversations and he has recovered fully. He started drinking afterwards for a very short time. He started drinking again after he recovered. And obviously I was very angry. Um, So he called and he, it was the first conversation that we have had about his drinking as adults in a calm way. It never was calm before. It was always like tempers were flared. It was very emotional, Um, especially when I was a teenager, like it just could get really ugly. And so it was the first time we'd ever talked calmly about him and alcohol. And I said, dad, I can't do this again. Like you are going to have to make a choice now. Like I will never take time away from my family. Like I did to come take care of you because of alcohol. And so I put that boundary up. He apologized and he hasn't drank since. So he's been sober (sighs) for yeah, really incredible. Now I feel like, yes, he's been sober for, I think five years now. That's incredible. It really is. People before would tell me, oh, my parents got sober. You know, my parents are sober. They've been sober for 10 or 15 or however many years. And I, it always kind of pissed me off to be honest. I was like, yeah, yeah. Good for you. And I never thought it would be my dad, but he's been sober. So I feel like if somebody's listening and they're like my parents or whoever I love will never be sober. That's not true. There is hope. So that's a powerful message too. There is hope, right. you know, and there, I can see how that could be damaging too, because that can drain you. Honestly, hope right. can drain and, you because you're like holding out for it and then end up yes. continually getting disappointed. But oh, the flip side, it can also be encouraging. Yeah. Right. And I think that's probably 
the hardest part about being um, the child of an alcoholic or loving somebody who has an addiction is the disappointment. Like oh, there's gosh. always disappointment. And it's such a weird juxtaposition when it's your parent because you love them and you're proud of them. But then at the same time, they disappoint you. And that's, that's just such a letdown. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and it's so beyond your control. Right. All within their control, whether or not they continue. As a kid, what's your earliest memory of noticing, okay, this is problematic? There was an evening that my mom packed us up. It was very late and she drove us to a different town to spend the night because he was, she didn't let on at the time, but he had been drinking and he was coming home late and she just couldn't deal with it. So that's like the first time that I really remember that you know, it's so weird because as a functional alcoholic, he is very loving. Like he loves me. He cheers for me. Um, he would, he taught me how to play baseball. Like he is amazing in so many ways. It's just such a weird, you're so amazing, but then you have this big problem. Yes. Humans are just complicated. Yeah. So complicated. And yeah, so that's probably the first time. And then it just kind of continued. So you said when you would approach him about it or talk to him about it, or if you guys ever discussed it, it would be very emotionally heightened. Oh, super. would he get defensive? So, would you broach the topic? I mean, I can't see him yeah, being like, Hey, so I, I have a drinking problem. Let's talk about it. <laughs> no, no, never. Um, so we never really talked about it. I never talked to him about it like as a child, but I definitely did as a teenager, you know, I would be like, you're drinking, like you don't even remember. And I would get really mad. I would bring it up and yeah, heightened emotions, just not ever a conversation that's going to go anywhere. And things were probably always said both sides, just that are not kind. Like, (laughs) so, so there was that, um, (laughs) There was a period in time in high school, like there was probably six to nine months that we didn't really talk. We didn't speak just because we had had a huge blow up. And do I think that all of our blow ups were rooted in alcoholism? I don't know, but it definitely as a teenager, I was angry towards him. Because as a teenager, you're kind of like, God, get your shit together. You know, like, yeah, you're the adult. Like, I'm not the adult. I don't want to be the adult. And so, yeah. When you would talk to your mom about it, well, did you guys ever talk about it? You and your mom? We did. Just you? And my aunt is a great support system to me. And she wouldn't talk about him drinking. So he, she would say, both my mom and aunt would say, you know, your dad loves you so much. My mom would say, Nicolia, he just has a problem that's bigger than himself. And great way to put it. It is. But at the time, you know, as a kid, you're like, and even as a parent now, I'm like, nothing should come between your love of your child and you. Dilly, nothing yeah. should be, nothing should be put before them. And so that was a hard pill to swallow. Like my mom saying, he just has a problem bigger than himself. And my mom never was like that SOB. Like she was always, she was very diplomatic. In fact, my parents still are friends. You know, my, they will, we sometimes will celebrate holidays together. And that's really special to me. You know, I would cry and she would upset her to see me upset, but she was always, you know, she, she was always willing to listen to me. 
Yeah. What a gut punch, isn't it though? When you find out that your parents are human. Oh yes. And I mean, yeah. And now as a, as a mom, I'm always like, Oh, what am I doing wrong? Or like, I'm sure I'm messing my kids up in some way. So yeah, yeah. it's and gut punch for sure. Yeah. I I can understand. And I want to get into that too, how it's impacted your parenting. Quick question. Did you ever want your mom to get angry about it? Were you ever like, come on, this is a big deal. Did you like throughout the diplomatic compassionate approach? I never was angry towards my mom. She would, she would not, she validated my feelings. She never made me think that it wasn't a big deal. You know, she was very compassionate and understanding. And were you, were you wanting her to get angry about the problem in and of itself? Or were you glad that um, she took like a calm, compassionate approach? I never wanted or needed her to be angry. Nice. One of the things that I admire most about my mom was that she was finally able to walk away. Like, yes, that's really impacted me in so many ways and in good ways, in good ways. Like I admire her for that because it's such a cycle. Um, and I was just so grateful to my mom for walking away because it just made our home so much more stable. It was calmer. It was just a better atmosphere. And I still had a relationship with my dad. So it was just such a good decision on her part. And what lingering effects too, I would think for your relationships, for your own parenting, for your own self, as you move through the world and set boundaries and know when is enough and what you want for yourself and to not abandon yourself and God, what a great gift that she could have given you. Yeah. So many ways, I mean, so many ways, you know, a quote that really stuck by me lately is people say, well, I can't even remember what they say, but basically like, don't let these bad things from your past continue with you. Then I read this quote. It's like, but also don't forget like your past generations that have carried your strength. It's your past traumas. Yeah. Like don't let your family's traumas continue with you. And that's very true. Like you should heal. But then I read like somebody had added on like, yes, don't let this continue with you, but also don't forget the strength from past generations that continues through you. Like, I think that's so, so powerful. It is. And I love that. And again, throughout all of my posts and podcasts and all of it, keep returning to how multifaceted life is and how nuanced it is. And so it's true and valuable, but a little reductive to look at it with that first part. Like you said, don't let your generational trauma continue with you, but then also to acknowledge the strength that they've carried and they perpetuate through you. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah, it is. So tell me how dealing with addiction as a kid and as a teenager, how that's impacted your own parenting. I was thinking about this and I'm like, oh man, I don't know how it, it really affected my choice in partners. My husband is, he understands. I'm able to talk to him about it and he understands. It was really important to me that whoever I married, um, we don't drink. I mean, we maybe drink in our home once a month and it's like a drink or two. It's not like we're pouring wine every night or, you know, like, yeah, yeah. and that was really, really important to me. Like, yeah. this isn't something that we're going to do. It's just not acceptable to me. And so that is something like we do have alcohol in our fridge, I guess. It's just not something that's part of our lives on an everyday basis. And yeah. so that's something it's really important for me to consistency for my kids is very important. If I'm angry, I want them to understand why that has impacted my parenting, you know, navigating 
my kids' relationship with their grandfather when he was still drinking, actively drinking, was that was another story because, you know, I didn't want them to deal with any of that. So putting up boundaries, um, was really important. Like, you know, I wouldn't answer phone calls after a certain time just because I knew that the conversation wouldn't be remembered, but I'm like, no, my kids won't be going on an overnight camping trip because I don't know that you're going to be sober. (gasps) Yeah. So my dad quit drinking, but we've never really talked about him not drinking. Like we've never talked about it, but this summer I was able to take my kids on a camping trip with my dad. And the whole time I was just like, I felt so happy that it was able to happen because if he had still been drinking, like I would have never done that. Yes. Um, so I like wrote him a letter and I told him, thank you. And like how proud I was. And so probably the biggest thing that I have taken into my parenting is their relationship with their grandfather, like how to navigate that. But I feel much better about it now that he's sober. Oh, I can imagine. And what a special experience that you were able to have because of the sobriety and because of all of this. Wow. Yeah. I like teared up saying that because it just meant so much. And for him to have a relationship with my kids is a big deal. So yeah. And something that some people might take for granted, you know? Right. Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. I have a question for you about you trying alcohol for the first time, however old you were, <laughs> were you a little hesitant or were you like, this could go south real so fast? It's, that's actually something that I wanted to talk about. So if you knew me in high school you're and you're listening, you're probably like, oh, that girl drank, <laughs> which I did. But to be honest, I did in high school, I did in college and I still, you know, I still drink, you know, but I have always been very, very aware of the consequences. And that's another thing. My mom was always very good at telling me, Nicolia, addiction is genetic. You have to be very careful. And so that always was in my mind. I have always been very aware that this cannot be a problem for me. Like I can't let it be a problem for me because, you know, addiction does run through families. And so that's been really important to me. And so trying alcohol for the first time, I wasn't thinking, oh, I could be addicted the first time I had it, but it always was something that I was aware of. And you think that awareness was the deciding factor that really helped you not become dependent on it? No. In fact, I think that people who are often addicted to alcohol have no physical impact. Like they don't have consequences, like they don't vomit and Mm. they don't get hung over often. And I am not that person. Yeah. I I can become violently ill. I, I don't get hangovers too bad, but I think that that is often a player in addiction is you don't have physical consequences. I have always wondered about that. Even if I were to become an alcoholic or wanted to, I just could not physically literally stomach it. I'm like, I want none of that because I really don't get bad hangovers either, but Jesus, like to have to deal with a hangover constantly, even if it was just an initial barrier, I wanted nothing to do with that. And that was enough to make me not continually drink alcohol. And I think that for some people, that's not actually the case. I think some alcoholics do have Mm. hangovers or, you know, vomit, but I also think that's a huge deterrent for many people. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like you have addictive tendencies elsewhere or no? Yes. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. I think I do. I know that I use food as like a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody does to a certain I... extent. Pretty aware of my screen time. I'm, I know that I have some addictive tendencies towards that. So I try to be aware of that, but you know. I love that you brought up food and technology because I think those are two... <laughs> Two drugs of choice, or maybe not of choice, but two drugs for so many people, whether they realize, realize yes. it or not. And I love yes. in the first series part of this series about addiction, I'd shared some thoughts from this Dr. Gabor Mate, and he's an expert in this. And he points that out and he says that almost everybody is an addict in some way. It's just what yes. your drug of choice is and whether or not you deem it respectable, which is arbitrary. I totally agree. I mean, I think some people are addicted to exercise. Oh yeah. I, I was for sure. And that I mean, can be sometimes... just as damaging. Totally. Dangerous. I... Yeah. It almost killed right. me. Yeah. 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 Which is awful. I mean, and I think the hard part about addictions like that is nobody's like, this is hurting me or this is affecting your relationships. It's more about it's hurting you. Yeah. And so it's yeah. much more acceptable. It's I mean, there are definitely acceptable addictions and unacceptable. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And ironically, what drove me to, and I take accountability and responsibility for my addiction to exercise, but what led me there or laid the red carpet was people encouraging that. They almost right. encouraged that addiction. Right. They're like, oh, you look fantastic. You look great. Oh, you work out that much. Oh my gosh, you're a machine. You're a beast. Yes. You're so fit. That's amazing. And it's it's so dangerous. And yeah, it's people encourage certain drugs actually in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I can absolutely see that. For sure. Do you have any resources that you would suggest, especially having taught on this to kids, whether from your personal experience or your professional experience? Um, any words of advice for kids going through this? Anything that you want to throw at them? What do you got? Well, one, I think that there are positives that come out of any situation. I think that God blesses any situation, whether you can see it at the time or not. And so like something that has come out of it for me is this is a double-edged sword, but like for me, I'm very emotionally intelligent. I can tell like if somebody walks in the room, I can tell if they're having a good day or a bad day yeah. and that is powerful. It can be not powerful. You know, it can be a bad yeah. thing as well, but yeah. it's something that's positive that comes out, has come out of it for me just because I think as a kid, I was always analyzing what, you know, is he, has he been drinking or is he sober? And so yeah. it's something that has very much impacted me. And to me, I think that it's very helpful. So I think that there's good out of any situation. I think counseling is huge for literally anyone. It doesn't matter if you yes. have somebody with addiction or you have an addiction. It doesn't matter if addiction's even a play. I think that counseling and therapy needs to be normalized. Yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> um, yes. A Yes. And so, I mean, marriage counseling, individual counseling, it's so important. And so I think that's huge. Having somebody to listen to that has some background that can help you. I think that's really important. There are support groups for there's alcohol anonymous for, they call it Al-Anon. So it's help for somebody that is dealing with somebody 
that's an alcoholic. So that could be spouses or wives. They have a children, like a juvenile Al-Anon. I did go once as a child. I didn't love it, but I do think it's a resource to not feel alone. Yeah. I mean, I haven't dived into all of these resources. I just think it's important for people not to feel like they're alone. Yes. That's major. Or I mean, yeah, I'm a functioning adult, you know, like I, for the most part, have my shit together and I have a family and kids. Like if you didn't know this about me, you probably would never know. And I think that that's really important. Like just because somebody doesn't talk on it doesn't mean they're not struggling with something. And so just knowing that you're not alone in whatever struggles you have, somebody else is too. Yes. Yes. And I really wanted to re-highlight that point that we touched on earlier about shame surrounding this and the feeling of isolation that this can bring. And I know that shame can really be nurtured by, and this isn't a dig on religions at all, but sometimes that can really exacerbate or even cultivate shame. It it definitely can. I mean, if you are trying to live up to something and you're falling short, then it does feel shameful. Yeah. And whether it's you or your family member, anything, it's hard to talk about and you need sunlight on issues like this to get through them for your own health, for everybody else's health. And counseling helps with that. Normalizing this conversation helps with that. So thank you for coming on and talking about this. Something else that I think I want to touch on is um, if you think you have a problem or, you know, if addiction runs in your family, you need to be very careful and thoughtful in how you approach substances or even, you know, anything in life, but addiction ruins so many lives. My husband is a police officer and the amount of lives that he sees ruined because of addiction is if, if society saw it would break their heart. Like it breaks apart families. And I have a really good friend who lost her son to a drug addiction. And oh it's just, my gosh. She's heartbroken. Like she is devastated and that's never going away for her. And never. so I think it's important that if you think you have an addiction that you get help Yes, because it doesn't just affect you. It affects the people around you and it can affect generations. Like that's the other thing to think about. Like it affects yes. not just the people people that are here right now, but in the future, it can affect people. So I think it's really important to face those demons and deal with them. Yes, absolutely. I love all of that. I love all of those points. And it's so true. And think of the ripple effect and yes, the lingering far reaching effects. I didn't ask this before, but I want to know what helped your dad get sober? AA? You know, to be honest, I think that his accident, because he went through alcohol withdrawals. And so his body detoxed from that. And honestly, after watching him, you know, because until I took psychology classes, until I understood, I always like, is this really like an addiction? Like, does its body really need this? Or is this just a choice? And after watching him detox, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so, I don't know if you've ever like detoxed from sugar, but there's like headaches and you know, you're groggy and grumpy and like for somebody detoxing, I mean, it's very much their body is dependent on it. It affects your central nervous system and it can even be life-threatening those, the DT right. and the alcohol withdrawal. So it can actually and threaten it was- your life. Yeah. Cause yes. it's and for- embedded in your central nervous system. Yeah. 
Right. So for my dad, like that was the thing, like it was life threatening. And so for him, so he went through all that and he did have withdrawals, but then his body wasn't dependent on it. Yes. He started drinking again, but I don't think that it had enough time for his body to become dependent on it. Mm. When he stopped, he stopped. Um, You know, I actually haven't talked about it with him. I know. I don't think he went to meetings, but yeah, he just made a decision. But to be fair, he had already, his body had detoxed. Yeah. So the hard part essentially was over through that. Yeah. I think another thing to think about if people are dealing with addiction, somebody that has addiction or they have an addiction is there's usually a reason, like you're usually numbing something out or, I mean, there's usually, (laughs) there's usually a background there, or there's usually a reason that you're doing it. Oh, absolutely. You're trying to fill a void and whether you're trying to fill that void with sex or porn or work or whatever it is, and it's a mental health issue and totally it needs to be addressed. That root cause needs to be addressed. Yes. And that's just a bandaid that you're trying to put on your wound and it's not working obviously. And it's creating more problems. And they found that, I mean, you hear about the experiments where they're trying to prove, okay, cocaine is inherently addictive because Mm -hmm. look at these rubs, you put them in a cage and then you give them a lever and they're pressing for more. You you give them a hit oh, of coke and then they're pressing right. for more. So obviously coke is addictive, right? But then <laughs> right. some brilliant, yeah, scientists were like, wait, wait, wait. So let's consider the context of this. So you're holding these rats up in a cage. Okay, that sucks. Nobody wants to be right. roped into a cage. And then what about if we change the setting and put them in a wonderful environment that they wanted to be in, thereby Mm -hmm. reducing the need, eliminating the need for them to like self-soothe or to fill that void or to escape, escape, escape. And then suddenly cocaine wasn't addictive and they weren't hitting up that lever for a hit. That tells all. I mean, there you go. Totally. I, yeah, I think the lesson is like, you need to deal with your past trauma. Like you you got to deal with it. Yeah, totally. We had talked about earlier and you had highlighted sometimes that trauma isn't just yours. It's generational and you're having to take right. it on and end it. But yes. Yeah, it's got to be dealt with. You got to face it. Yeah. And I mean, facing it obviously isn't fun. Like no. it's not like it's painful and it's yes. hard. And yes, yes. So, you know, it is cleaning out the wound, which isn't a pleasant experience, but mm. afterwards you start to heal. Oh gosh. And that high is unlike any other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's lasting that high of actually healing and feeling good and overcoming is unlike any chemical high or any yes. other kind of high for sure. And yeah, it's so simple to be like, yeah, just face your fears and face your wound and take care <laughs> of it. And it's great. And all will be sunshine and rainbows. Oh, right. no, it fucking sucks. Yeah. But right. it's totally so agree. worth like, it. Yes. It's not, it's not a fun process. It's not. I mean, it basically breaks you down to build you back up yes. in all the best ways. In but all the best it ways. Is, it is hard. Yes. Okay. So what is your message to people after all the value that you've just hit us with? <laughs> <laughs> what message do you have for the people? I just think to remember one, that you're not alone, but also to remember like you never know what somebody is going through. So yes. to be kind is key. I yes. think that's the main thing and, you know, deal with whatever trauma you have because it's important. I mean, that's pretty much what you need in life, right? (laughs) Right. Words of wisdom. Okay. Thank you, Nicolia, so much. And yeah, thank you everybody for listening. 